0: Uh, thanks for hanging with me on the water break. Um, if you've got your Bible, we're going to the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter five is where we're going, and uh, you can just uh, kind of put your finger there and hang out uh, there just for a few minutes. Now, um, my dad uh, was a country music fan of sorts. He he, he was just he just loved music, um, and he uh, there was one time we went to Oglethorpe Mall. And uh, he was sitting there talking to this guy, and this guy just was shaking his head at him. And I didn't—I I didn't really pay much attention to it till about five minutes into the the conversation. And I realized that the guy that my dad was was talking to—he didn't speak any English at all, you know. And my dad was just chatting away, but they found that uh, they came together on music, and so they were talking about Elvis. And uh, they both began to sit there and sing some Elvis tune together. I can't even remember what it was. I think uh, You Ain't Nothing But a Hound Dog might have been what it was. And I'm thinking, what is going on? This is the craziest thing I've seen. You know, and it's funny how uh, music sometimes can bring us together. And uh, my dad, he loved music. And uh, I I know that when um, you're in my truck, you're going to listen to my tunes, right? How Anybody else, you're like that? Your vehicle, your tunes. Anybody? Okay, I just want to make sure I'm 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 not alone because if, if my boys get in my truck, they know they're going to listen to what I'm listening to. They better not reach their hand over and try to touch that knob because they're going to pull back a nub. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it's 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 going to be my tunes, and so that's kind of how my dad was. Now he wasn't that violent with me, <laughs> but it was going to be his tunes, um, and so. It, you know, things that he would listen to, I remember it was not my kind of music. My dad listened to big band stuff. Um, he loved um, Tommy Dorsey. Uh, he loved Ace Cannon. Um, some, some of you guys may know some of those. Um, he, he loved all kinds of music. He loved Hank Williams, not like Hank Williams Jr., not like the original Hank Williams, all right, and Hank Williams Sr. And so my dad, I remember growing up and he would put in the cassette tape. And, you know, I learned the tune to, uh, you know, Your are Cheating Heart. I learned Kalaja was a wooden Indian, standing by the door. His heart was set on, you know, it, this, I mean, it, it, I I know some of these songs because they just kind of come back to me when I hear them. Um, but he was a big Hank Williams fan. And Hank Williams was kind of one of those, those characters that uh, he was absolutely a character. Um, he had a life that um, was just marked by super uber talent um, but also tragedy. And so I want to talk to you just for a few minutes uh, just a little bit about his life. So Hank Williams married this girl named Audrey Shepard uh, in the in the late 40s and um, they were both, um musical in their own right they uh, she was uh, just a, a singer and a performer and so they they married up and it just seemed like a great partnership um, and so they were they were talented and they would travel together and sing together but their marriage was so rocky the entire time that they were married um, it was plagued by infidelity uh, it was plagued by substance abuse that that um, uh, Hank Williams uh, suffered from spina bifida, and so um, he turned to alcohol to uh, help alleviate the pain. Uh, Also got hooked on uh, all kinds of drugs, uh, trying to alleviate the pain. And so he abused all kinds of drugs and and alcohol, and it just got to the point um, that Audrey, you know, basically told him in 1952. She says, I'm not doing this anymore. Don't come home. And, uh, and so basically she kicked him out. And in 1953, uh, he got hooked up with another girl. Uh, they got married. Uh, she was divorced from another guy and divorce wasn't quite final yet. And so, but they went ahead and got married and just a mess. And while he was with her, he was riding in the car one day with her and he said, I want you to write down the lyrics to this, this song. And he, he had her write down the lyrics to your cheating heart. And he wrote that about his first wife, Audrey. Uh, and if you go read that those lyrics, it's just it's heartbreaking. You know, it's 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 a very sad song, um, but uh, it became a number one hit for him. Sadly, it did not become a number one hit until after he died because he he died just a little while after he wrote the song in 1953, and it became a number one hit. And and you see. Lives that are marked with so much potential and so much promise, and then there's so much tragedy and so much that is taken uh, from from people. Uh, About 12 years later, there was a group called the Rolling Stones. Anybody remember the Rolling Stones? You know, was Mick Jagger like 176 now? I don't know. You know, he's still wearing skinny jeans, Uh, right? And, uh, you know, uh, the Rolling Stones, about 12 years later, uh, there was a song uh, that they wrote, and it was called Satisfaction. And this song became a number one hit, and Satisfaction was basically a rant against consumerism. And uh, it was a, a rant that things in life can leave you still wanting. That although you may fill your life with a bunch of stuff, it won't fill you up. And so the, the whole thing is I can't get no satisfaction. And, and so I asked the question, you know, uh, so what does Satisfy? What does satisfy? And I I think Jesus has an answer to that. And that brings us to where we're going for the next few weeks because the next few weeks we're going to look at a series of messages uh, called Jesus' Greatest Hits, right? Jesus' Greatest Hits. And so so what is Jesus' Greatest Hits? Jesus' Greatest Hits, we're going to go through the Sermon on the Mount. And maybe you've heard about the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount is, um, in most just about all scholars believe that this is not one sermon. It was is not just a, like he sat down and he went through all this this sermon in in one sitting. They actually believe that the Sermon on the Mount is basically like the highlight points that Matthew uh, included in his gospel. Uh, that as he heard him and, and walked with him and heard Jesus teach on these things, that these were some of the highlights of his teaching. And so this is included in uh, this 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 group of uh, in the sermon called uh, the Sermon on the Mount, which goes from chapter 5 through chapter 7 in Matthew. And so I want us to look at that over the next few weeks, and I want us to start right at the get-go today because I think we can answer some of this, uh, what, what we were asking just a minute ago, what does satisfy? And I think Jesus gets to that. And so let's go ahead and read here in Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. And it says, seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain. Now, this, I want you to go ahead and kind of get this picture because a lot of Jesus' life is actually a recapitulation of things that you have seen already in the Old Testament. And so if you think back in the Old Testament, who else went up on a mountain and began to teach? Right? Maybe you should start thinking thoughts of Moses, and this is exactly what Jesus wanted these people to see, that there's this recapitulation of this, um, the, almost like the new Moses, uh, and he begins to not just give the Torah, uh, but he begins to give this teaching and this instruction on, on how to live for God. And so seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he had sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. There it is, right? I can't get no satisfaction. He just didn't read Matthew uh, 5, 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Blessed are those who persecute, who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of of heaven, and blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, or for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now, I don't know if you read that and you're saying, yeah, Jesus, that doesn't sound like a lot of great stuff to get excited about, right? It seems like he's saying all these things and these words don't match up. Blessed are you when you mourn. Anybody, have you ever been crying and just thought, oh, I'm just so blessed, you know, but not in a good way? It's like, I just stumped my toe, you know, and you're trying to make yourself think good thoughts, you know. Maybe, maybe you've had something bad happen, and it's all just, just brought you to tears or almost brought you to tears, and you're just, you just don't sit there and think, man, I'm just blessed. You're thinking, well, this stinks. I, I, life is not good right now. I don't like where I'm at. And so, Jesus, how does this stuff match up? How does this stuff match up with, um, you know, how I'm supposed to look at life? And, and so Jesus, uh, he, he, he's teaching here in a way, and, and I, I think I need to kind of let you in on this because f- for us 21st century Americans, we don't pick up on how he's teaching and, and how he's laying this out. We just think it's just a bunch of, it's a list of stuff. How many of you guys like lists? You list all kinds of stuff. You just live off the list, you know. Some of us, we look at this and say, this is a great list. You know, Jesus just made a list. It's like, this is not a great list. Uh, actually, it's, it's more than that. It's more than a list that goes deeper than that. And I'll look at that in just a second. See, who was he talking to first? He was talking to this crowd, but he was talking specifically to his disciples. He, he was talking to uh, the 12 who he had called to him. Now Now, there might have been others that had kind of pressed in to hear what Jesus was saying, but he was talking to a group of people who were kind of on the outside looking in. These were guys who they did not make the cut to follow the other rabbis. Uh, they did not make the cut to continue their education in Hebrew training. And so these guys went back to their trade. They went back to work working with their dads. They went back to, f- to working in whatever trade that, that they were trained in. And then Jesus comes along and taps them to be his disciples, to be his followers, And so uh, it's almost like an inversion of what is is supposed to be happening. These weren't the guys that you're supposed to take. These weren't the cream of the crop. Actually, these were the outcasts, especially if you look at Matthew. And Matthew, the the writer of the Gospel of Matthew, if you look at Matthew, his life, he was a tax collector. And Matthew, uh, being a tax collector, people did not like him at all because he worked for the Romans, and the Romans were the enemy. And so it was like the Romans were the power. We don't fight the power, right? We don't like the Romans. We're against the Romans, and you're working for the Romans. So we don't like you. And basically, if someone were to do that, their family would cut them off. And and so it was almost like that family had lost a child, that that their child had died because they had cut him off because he had gone to, to work for the enemy, and he was part of that enemy's camp. And so when Jesus comes along and he invites these guys to be part of uh, his followers. What he's doing is, is something radical. And so who's he talking to? He's talking to people who are outsiders. He's talking to people who have no power. He's talking to uh, people who have been pushed to the edges. And actually there's a word, and maybe I've told you this before. Maybe you've, you remember it, maybe you don't. Uh, there's this word called mumser, all right? Mumser, that's a crazy word, right? Anybody ever heard of a mumser? All right, so if a mumser is, an, and actually it's, 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 <laughs> it's not a great term uh, in, in English, the English translation I would have to cuss to say it, so I'm going to say the Hebrew, uh, the Hebrew is a mumser. A mumser would be someone who is a child of an illicit relationship, right? And so it's not a legit, they're not legit. Uh, family and and so they would be pushed to the to the edges and so all these people that jesus were pulled pulled around him were people who basically fell into that category whether they were a child of an illicit relationship or they were uh working for the romans in, in some way or they were just pushed out they were the outcast jesus was talking to the mumsers and so Jesus' message to the mumsers, he begins to tell them, he, he begins to give them this this kind of this poetic thing of blessed are this and blessed are you doing this. And really, this word blessed is probably better uh, translated, more happy or even lucky. Hey, man, you're lucky if this happens to you. You are, ha- you need to be happy if this this is where you're at. And you're like, how do you make all this match up? And so when you begin to read this list, you'll see that it takes on a certain, um, a certain form. You can actually break it up into two sections. You can break it up into two sections, and uh, there's a, 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 a writer. Her name is Rachel Thompson, and this is what she said about it. Rachel Thompson says, I nicknamed the first four blessings in Matthew 5, the negative Beatitudes. They all bless a particular state of lack. And if you, if you realize that, when you read the first four, they bless a state of lacking or a state of, of being in need. The last four are very different. Each one blesses a virtue. And so if you see there's these two halves, um, and, and you could kind of break it down. And, and I, I, Pastor Adam, I think I, I, gave, I gave you a chart there uh, that it is broke down into a thing called a chiasm. Do you have that? There you go. And so, anybody ever heard this word chiasm? Chiasm is uh, it's a literary, literary way of teaching something where um, you kind of, uh, you write one way uh, to get to a, a center focus. And so, chiasm, basically chiasm comes from the letter chi uh, in Greek, which is an X. And so, if you look at an X, if you drew an X on a page and looked at that X, That X actually looks like two arrows pointing to a center point, doesn't it? Whether you look at it from going up or down or side to side, it actually looks like two arrows pointing to a center point. So a chiasm, and you'll find this in Scripture in the New Testament and and, and really in the Old Testament as well, a chiasm is a way that they would teach you something and say, listen, I'm going to say something in a poetic way, but there's a center point in what I'm saying that you need to get. And the chiasm would help people see what the main point was. And so when you begin to look at this chiasm, it goes in a certain way that the first four, they kind of come down and then it moves back out. And so, what's at the center of the chiasm? If you look at what's at the center of the chiasm, you have to go and read verse six because they all lead down to this, and where Jesus says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. See, when we think of that word righteousness, when we think of this word um, righteousness, there's this idea of rights in that, right? Anybody, you want your rights? Okay. We can come in here and just take, let's just take all your rights away today. Hey, would that make anybody happy? No. Okay. All right. Especially as Americans, we love our rights, don't we? Right. Right. We even have a thing called the Bill of. There we go. All right. There we go. So it's a big thing for us. Rights is a big thing, and so when we think of this idea of righteousness, it should call to mind this idea of uh, being in a right standing, or or things being in a right way. And so when our rights are Pushed upon or put upon or, or maybe uh, pulled at or threatened. We don't like that. You know, if, if we go someplace and, and uh, you know, we order something and it doesn't come out the way we want to, you need to send that back and bring it to me because it's my right as a customer to have it the right way, right? Right. Because the customer is always Right. See, the thing about it is this I think we see it a little bit different. And what Jesus is saying is a little bit different. Because righteousness here is not the only thing in the center. Go back to that, that thing, that chiasm. Because if you look at it, you'll also see that not only is verse 6 in the center, verse 7 in the center too. And so they, they work together. And Jesus is saying, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful for they shall receive mercy so we find here at the center of the structure we find righteousness and mercy Skip Mowen says this about righteousness he says righteousness is is right conduct resulting in proper relationship between parties does that sound does that sound right to you That if somebody treats you right, there can be righteousness there. So so he's saying that righteousness is right conduct resulting in proper relationship between two parties. And what is mercy? And some of you have heard me talk about this before. It's this word uh, in the Hebrew, it's the word hesed. uh, It is a loaded word. It is a difficult word to translate because it is so broad, it is so big, it is so deep. But so many times, uh, the way that uh, this long-lasting, faithful love that goes beyond, even when, when someone is unfaithful, has said is the love that goes beyond. Has said is the faithful love even when the one receiving the love has not been faithful, right? Even when it doesn't go both ways, it's the party saying, yes, I'll be faithful even if you're not faithful. That's how big chesed is. It is the unconditional kind of agape type love that we see in scripture. And it is hard sometimes to get our mind around. And God says, that is how I love you. And that is mercy. That is translated mercy. And so what we see here that Jesus is connecting righteousness and mercy. In Psalm 8510, can you put Psalm 8510 up there? I'll just read it off the screen. We see this in Psalm 8510. It says, steadfast love. And every time you see steadfast love, that is that word hased. all right? That is that word hased. Hased and faithfulness meet. Steadfast love and faithfulness meet. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. You say, wow, that's beautiful, man. That's beautiful poetry right? And that's really kind of how the Psalms are. They're a song. They're, they're poetry in a way. But they're communi- communicating something that God wants us to understand is that any time where mercy and peace are paired together, most often uh, they'll follow this order that you will have mercy and then peace follows, follows it. Mercy is the act of God and peace is the experience that follows it. See, now so many times When we come to the Beatitudes and we think this is just a list of stuff that Jesus is wanting us to to just kind of, you know, we're just supposed to do all these, I think we need to focus in on what the chiasm shows us. He really gets to the point, he says, listen, if you want to be satisfied, hunger and thirst for right relationship. What is right relationship? Right relationship is right relationship between us and God. Right, righteousness is right standing between us and God. Right relationship is between us having a right relationship with God. How many of you know that sometimes our, your relationship with God has been messed up and it doesn't seem very righteous? But he's saying, listen, if you want righteousness, there has to be a right standing. There has to be a rightness in our relationship between us and God. God says this, It says, if you want righteousness and you want right relationship with me, you've got to have right relationship with each other. Mm. What about demanding my rights? Are you in right relationship with each other? Well, but Jesus, you don't understand. See, there are things I I, I get to demand because I have rights. And Are you in right relationship with each other? And so it, it brings us to this crossroads that sometimes we want to demand our rights and we may have every right to do that but Jesus says I want you to give mercy he pairs righteousness and rights with mercy and even though you may have the right to demand something of someone how many of you have been on the side where something has been demanded of you and you pleaded mercy I, I need mercy I need favor, I need grace, I need time, I need, I need a break. Can you give me a break on this? Anybody, you been there? See, we, we always like to demand our rights when it's, when it's coming to us, but when it's being demanded of us, it, it's a little bit different, right? And, and, and so Jesus is saying, hey, there's a way to live, and, and you, can, um, you can live in bad relationship with the Romans if you want to. He's like, you can go and be a thorn in the side of the Romans if you want to, but you're not going to find satisfaction that way. But you're not going to find life that way. He says, if you learn to live in relationship with your Father in heaven, and even with those, hear me out, even with those oppressive Romans, he says, you will find satisfaction. Because it's not about the things that we have in life. Right? It's not about things we have. The greatest things in life aren't things at all. It's relationship. The greatest things in life aren't things at all. See, and, and the Rolling Stones found that out. Hank Williams and, and his first wife, Audrey, they found that out. It wasn't even about the things that they had. They're, they didn't find any satisfaction because their relationships were messed up. And so many of us, when our relationships are messed up, whether it is between each other, between God, or most of the time when when one's messed up, the other's messed up, that we don't find satisfaction, that we find it difficult. And Jesus is saying, listen, I'm trying to give you a new ethic to live by. I'm trying to give you a new way to look at this because I want life for you. Do you believe that Jesus wants life for you? See, I believe that. I believe that Jesus wants life for me because he told us in John 10.10, 10, he says, uh, uh, the thief comes to is still killing the story. He says, but I have come. I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly, have it overflowing. That's the kind of life that I want for you. But, see, we go about life trying to grab the bull by the horns, right? Carpe diem, right? Seize the day. Right? We're trying to get it and wrestle it down and, and put it in a headlock and most of the time life gets us in a headlock. And then we're trying to tap out. Right? We're asking for mercy and it's not letting up. And Jesus says this there's a different way to live. You don't have to go around just demanding everything. You don't have to go around and being in wrong relationship with, with people and with God. Because your Father in Heaven says that if you want right relationship with Him, you've got to be in right relationship with everyone else. That's the way that goes. Jesus said it this way. He, says, he said this. He says, um, they asked Him, they said, what's the greatest commandment? He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. He says, the second is as the first. Love your neighbor as yourself. He says, if you do this, all the law, all the Torah, all the teaching." All the law and the prophets, all this book right here, everything that 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 you're living by, all that hangs on that if I'm loving God like I should, and I'm loving people like I should, that is the summation of this. And so this is it, guys. How are you treating people when you're out and about? Do you get frustrated? I get frustrated. You know, especially right now, there's, there you know things maybe you're having to wait longer maybe maybe you know you're not able to get stuff and we get frustrated because we like our conveniences and man when our conveniences are taken away whoo we can the dander gets gets up right our the, the 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 our feathers get ruffled and so i like convenience but what i want more than that is to be in a right relationship with jesus and he says listen You've got to treat everybody in a way that is called for mercy. There's a way to live, and when we look at the Beatitudes, go right for the heart of it. He says, I'm calling you to live in righteousness and to live in mercy. I'm going to ask somebody to come play. So the greatest things in life aren't things at all. It's relationship. It's relationship with our Father. That's the relationship that we have with each other. It's the relationship that we we get called into and invited into with our Father, and it's the relationship that we get to have with one another. And relationships sometimes can be the most difficult things because it seems like the people who are closest to us sometimes hurt us the deepest. Come on. Sometimes it seems like the the relationships that, that are closest to us are the ones that just, man, they hurt the most. And Jesus says, listen, It's not about all these other things that you're going to get in life. It's about the mercy that we give each other because you want mercy. I'm going to ask you to give mercy. You've received mercy from the Father. Give that same mercy away. And so when we come today and we look at the Beatitudes and and we just kind of look at the heart of what Jesus is teaching, and he calls us to... Righteousness, a right relationship. And he calls us to mercy. What does that look like in your daily life? What does that look like for you? I'm not asking you to, to analyze anybody else. I'm asking you to analyze you. When it comes to right relationship for you, what does that look like? When it comes to, to you giving mercy, what does that look like? Well, Pastor Ryan, Pastor Ryan, you don't know what they did. No, no, no. Jesus wasn't asking everybody what the Romans did. He already knew. He already knew what the Romans did, right? He is giving a new way and said, listen, if you live in a way where you're just always pushing back and always pushing back and always pushing back, he's like, you're not going to inherit the land. If you look at that, it, it, that's, that's, that's one of them. It says part of that is that, that is you're going to inherit the earth. The meek shall inherit the earth. Basically, what is that? We think of the earth as the globe. If you look at that statement, he was saying, listen, if you're humble, you'll gain your land. You'll gain back the land, the Israel, the promise that was given to you. You know what happened a few years later? All that was taken away again. It's because we... Not just as Israel, but we as a people, as humans, sometimes we find it difficult to live humbly, to live in humility, to live in right relationship, and to give mercy. So, what would that look like if we actually began to live out what Jesus called us to live? What would that look like for you? Heads bowed this morning. lead us in this, and I want to come back and pray for you in just a second.